Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Hello and welcome to this podcast in which we'll be exploring the subject of mental health in the workplace. This podcast is significant in its timing in two respects. Firstly, because it signals the launch of the NHS Employers Equality, Diversity and Human Rights Week. This is something that we have initiated now for the last three years and which is designed to give a platform for employers to celebrate, share and explore what a diverse and inclusive workplace should look and feel like within the NHS. This year on our website we have a range of tools, materials and resources which you can use within your trust to raise the profile of diversity, equality and human rights within your workplace. We are also hosting two events, one on the 13th of May in Leeds and one on the 15th of May in London, which are bringing people together who organise and work with black and minority ethnic and lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender networks. You can book a place on these events through our website at www.nhsemployers.org. The second significance of today's podcast is that it signals the beginning of Mental Health Awareness Week. This is an awareness raising programme initiated by the Mental Health Foundation each year. The theme for this year is anxiety, which is one of the leading causes of mental ill health in the world. You can find out more information about this at www.mentalhealth.org.uk. So today I am joined by colleagues who are going to help us explore the issues around mental health in the workplace. They are Peter Hall from Employers Network for Equality and Inclusion, Stephen Bowen from the British Institute for Human Rights, Dean Hamilton Ayling from University College London Hospitals. So I'd like to now hand you over to Dean um, who is going to start by introducing himself to you. Good morning, I'm Dean Hamilton Ayling. I'm a Deputy Head of Workforce um, in one of the clinical boards in the hospital. Thank you very much. And I'm Stephen Bowen, I'm Director of the British Institute for Human Rights. And I'm Peter Hall, I'm Member Engagement Manager at ENEI. Okay, thank you. Um, as the Programme Lead for Health and Wellbeing at NHS Employers, we're doing a lot of work on mental health in the workplace and have a lot of tools, resources and opportunities to get involved in further work in this area. One of the regular questions I get asked is, do I think employers are starting to understand mental health and the importance of this in the workplace? And is this changing? Can I start by asking what your thoughts are on that, please? Shall I kick you off? Um, I think the important thing from an employer's perspective, it's around the initiatives that sort of support staff and, employee, and employees. So if I change the language from mental health to emotional sort of well-being and that helps get more traction and support for employees, then that could be a good thing. Because I think there's a lot of stigma, employers feel there's a lot of stigma around the language that is around that mental health in the workplace. So anything that can help move that debate forward and it's more supportive for employees in the workplace. I feel can be viewed as a good thing. Thank you. I would echo that to some extent. I think um, added to it that there's a fear from managers um, in terms of in terms of mental health. I think they they understand to some extent stress, 
um, because the HSE has done an awful lot of work in terms of what is expected of an employer in terms of stress, stress awareness and stress management. I don't think that they've got the same confidence in terms of other, other aspects of, of mental health. I think changing the language into, into something which is more acceptable from an individual perspective with, with less stigma and also more um, engaging, it, it can only benefit everybody. Yeah, I'd echo some of that. I think employers are beginning to understand um, how mental health issues affect their staff and the role that they should play in um, supporting those staff. Um, most, most of us during our lives will face mental health challenges, either ourselves or through our um, immediate families. And I think that it might be useful to describe it as well-being if that allows us to get even more tra traction for understanding how important it is to support people with mental health challenges um, properly. But at the same time, we are building awareness around the need to address mental health challenges properly and positively. And so I would have a worry that disguising it under a new name actually doesn't confront what drives our inability as society to understand and deal with mental health challenges. Because actually, um, fear, stigmatisation, taboo, a lack of safety, these are the things that provide momentum for society's refusal to understand how normal mental health challenges are for human beings and how they need to be addressed, destigmatized. So I think that we need to increase the awareness raising works that many of us and many other charities and organisations are doing, but we need to understand what we're doing when we change the names. And I sometimes feel that being explicit is a great way to remove stigma. Is there, is there not a, a fear, or a, is there not a consequence in, in, in starting with the, the mental health conditions though? Because each condition re requires a certain level of knowledge and the, the gap between having no knowledge and, and starting to be able to support somebody is quite, is quite great. I think it, ha having a language of a, of a softer nature which, which helps everybody engage and starts to understand those issues is likely to bridge the gap to some extent between limited and, and, and detailed knowledge required to support individuals? No, I agree we need to bridge that gap and I also agree that language is important and most of all I agree we should be always thinking about and talking about the person and not their impairment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, when you look across all that we have um, achieved in relation to equality for disabled people mm -hmm. and all that we still need to achieve. Yeah. yeah, Focusing on the person and not the impairment is one thing that we have, I think, really learned. So for me, I think um, what drives lack of progress is um, something we need to recognise, which is a very substantial fear amongst human resource professionals and other people who mm. are at the front line of supporting people living through mental health challenges, if renaming things provides a route through overcoming that fear, then that would be a good thing. But sometimes we have to be very careful in um, disguising the fear rather than um, confronting it sure. and working to remove it. Absolutely. <clears throat> oh, sorry, just to add to that, I mean, another benefit of moving to that language, that softer language, I feel. I feel personally that it helps promote that social dis model disability rather than moving away to highlight the medical model because 
when you kind of put that mental health aspect, you know, as colleagues said to before, it kind of presupposes managers have to have a degree of that knowledge, how to deal with that condition, and maybe by softening it a little bit more around emotional well-being, that leaves a space there that can actually, actually we can deal with this, because all of us are going to suffer, or maybe in a journey at some point, that may be affected by mental health at one stage or another. And I, I, I totally agree with, with, uh, with what you're su suggesting, that we um, don't move away from supporting individuals and their conditions and what, what I'm not hearing is that we change language away from mental health to emotional well-being but actually one way, one way of supporting individuals is by using a language which is totally inclusive because everybody can in, in, in any day require some sort of emotional well-being whether or not it's to do with anxiety or, or stress or to do with pressure at work which, which isn't necessarily a, um, a recognised condition but yet everyone can recognise the need for support I think that's that's critical if we're going to get um, individuals to to be properly supported in the workplace, that get their get their colleagues on board. Thank you. Um, one of the things that you mentioned there, Stephen, was providing momentum. Um, how do you define mental health from the perspective of your organisations? We don't tend to have a, a a singular definition. We tend to we tend to instead take a an individual and and support them regardless of the the. the the, the, the condition. So we, we offer a whole range of different support. We don't we don't term it mental health or, or uh, support in, in particular. Just support and guidance that you can get through um, through um, what we refer to as uh, staff well-being. Okay. Okay. So you've got staff well-being. Does, do you two have anything different? I mean, for any it's a con looking at a vast range of our members who cover all various sectors. I don't think. My colleague alluded to this one clear definition. It will be different for different organisations from different sectors, but I think it comes under the general term of well-being, really, and looking after the emotional well-being. So mm. it's, it's hard to categorise it. The danger if you do that, you then go down a medical model again. Mm. So you recognise certain conditions, and then you you risk having almost like a league table. Yeah. Your yeah. conditions of who gets more adequate health, and actually, it's not about that. It's about recognising the person. Well, working for a human rights organisation, our focus is to ensure that we recognise that human rights are about understanding that every member of the human family is of equal worth, whether or not a particular member of the human family at any one time in their life is facing human rights challenges. So our focus really is to ensure that um, people are not subjected to improper discrimination because of their... Um, of the stigma attached to um, to mental health. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we've talked already quite a lot about uh, terminology, use of language, and definitions. Um, do you think that employee employers really understand what mental health issues affect their employees? I'm, I'll, I'm happy to take that from you again. Um, in short, I would say yes. <laughs> um, I think first and foremost there is this cost element, and I think it's been well evidenced and documented. Mental health costs in, in around 26 billion. You know the impact of that is around 8 billion cost in absenteeism, and 15 billion around presenteeism. So I think employers, especially large employers, get it. Um, I think there's a different question around the resource about supporting it going forward. And then given that most of um, employers are SMEs, I think the challenge is around supporting that particular sector kind of going forward. So in essence, yeah, I think employers do understand the impacts to the individual 
I'm, yeah, I'm not sure we, we understand. I, I think organisationally, we have the, the means by which we can help individuals to understand the impact of the condition in the workplace through through means that, um, such as occupational health or um, or other um, staff support mechanisms. I'm not sure that that necessarily transcends into the the, level, the, the required level of knowledge on a manage, on a management basis. Getting managers to to understand a whole range of different um, uh, uh, activities that, that as we do now. So in in, in the NHS. Our ward sisters need to need to know more than simply have more than simple, simply a clinical background. They need they need to understand about managing budgets, managing staff, and 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 all the processes that that, that go alongside that. And and it's important um, that we get the right knowledge in the right the right places in the organisation. So I think organisationally, yes, we do have we do have um, an awareness. I don't think it it, it goes it transcends the organisation enough for individuals to be able to support it. As widespread as, as we necessarily want. I suspect there's a growing awareness of the importance of the issues, but um, a lack of really practical approaches so mm. that employers can properly support support staff who need support. And I think really the test is whether or not um, anyone who works for an employer um, would feel really safe discussing what support they need or whether actually they would feel not safe. And until we reach that point, I think we still have a long way to go.